the Lord saw fit to bless us with your gift this morning. We're grateful for it. If you would remain standing as we read from our text, we're going to be back once again in the 27th chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 27. We will begin reading in verse number 1. For those of you that have not been with us, this point in the book of Acts, if you're not familiar with it, the Apostle Paul has been in prison for two years and is now being sent to Rome and is sailing by ship and will be shipwrecked once again. Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse number 1, And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. Centurion, you know, is captain over a hundred, if you can imagine. We get a number later on in the chapter. I don't know that I'll read that far this morning, but I believe that Paul says there's 276 souls on board the ship that uh, ends up uh, wrecking, becoming shipwrecked. But if you can imagine being on board with a hundred Roman soldiers and sailors, and uh, you ought to be able to imagine that. You know why? Because we're on board with people like that. I mean, here we are in this world, and we're sailing through it, and we're on board with all kinds of people just like this. Verse number 2 says, They entered into a ship of Adramidium, and they launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia. One Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. Um, You imagine Aristarchus and Luke joining themselves to begin with, with Paul and being with him accompanying him on this journey and then outside of that Julius giving Paul liberty to go to them to refresh himself it says in verse number 4 when we had launched from thence we sailed into Cyprus or under Cyprus because the winds were contrary and when we sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia and came to Myra a city of Lycia there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Snidus, the wind not suffering us, the wind had stopped them, we sailed under Crete over against Salmon, and hardly passing it, we came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, at least not for their part, I think it was a good place for them to have stayed. It's the place that God had brought them to. It's always a good place to be, always a good place to remain, as long as God would have us to be there. But they said it wasn't commodious to winter in. It wasn't accommodating to their liking and their needs. The more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain unto Phenice, and there to winter, which is in haven of Crete, and lieth toward the south, west, and northwest. I just want to <coughs> read just to that point this morning. Um, last Lord's Day, we <coughs> began looking at this and gave kind of an introduction, and I want to dig a little deeper the Lord willing this morning into some of these verses that we have just read um, be good for you later on today read the rest of the chapter 
acquaint yourself with those things that we are going to be looking at further as we go through. There's so much. There's so much here in this chapter. It's incredible. Um, there's so much in any verse of Scripture. If the Lord would allow us to see that we would be amazed. How often has been the testimony of so many to say, you know, I've heard that message before, but I didn't see that. The Word of God is so deep. And we sang already, somebody called out 509, that happens to be Sister of Mine, one of my favorite hymns. And in that hymn it says, More deep I'll drink above. You know, I'll have a mind then, Brother Bruner, that I'll be able to see more perfectly and clearly and understand things that I've not been able to understand or see here. So before we get into the message, let's ask the Lord to bless and be with us. Speak unto us. Brother J.D., would you pray for us? Amen. You may be seated. So we want to continue this morning looking at that which we began last Lord's Day. Firstly, with the thought that we find in the very first verse that it was determined that we should sail. This was the means of conveyance upon which Paul would be taken to Rome. It would be by ship, and they would sail unto Italy. Let me just say this in in regards to um, what we're looking at in this chapter. Someone asked me just this week, they said, how should I interpret Scripture? Should Should I look at it literally? Or should I look at it metaphorically? And my answer was, yes. There, there are things that, that we accept from God's Word as literal. I mean, no doubt. God says, thou shalt not murder. You shall not kill. Spiritually, we understand beyond those words that I not take up a knife that I use to carve a turkey with and kill a man with it. And I understand that in my heart and in my thoughts that if I hate a man, that I've already committed murder in my own heart against that person. So, you know, it's not the knife that's evil, it's, it's, it's the anger within the heart that causes the knife to be used for evil purposes. But there are literal things in Scripture At the same time, there are things that we take metaphorically, which just simply means that it's not taking, we're not taking it literally. 
you know, metaphoric means not literal. That's all metaphoric means. So there are things that we don't take literal. And I was telling, for instance, the Lord is presented in Scripture as a door. He's not a door. We're not going to get to heaven and the Lord be a door. I have pastor friends that take the Bible completely literally. And I ask them, well, what about, you know, is the Lord really a door? We know metaphorically speaking, yes, He is. He's the only way. There is no other way. It's only through Christ. There's no other way that a man can be saved. There's no other name given under heaven whereby a man must be saved. Except through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, sometimes there are things to be taken both ways, even. I mean, this is a literal account that we have here in Acts 27 of something that happened in the Apostle Paul's life. This isn't something that is given to us metaphorically. It is literal. It is something that we should receive as a historic account, but not only as a historic account. It's not given to us just for the fact that it's history. Something that happened. I was listening to a message on this chapter, and um, Brother Conrad Merle, some of you may know him. He'll be here in December. That's the next meeting that we're going to have. Uh, first weekend in December, so uh, the first Saturday and Sunday, both he and Brother Josue Contreras will be with us. But um, he remarked how there was someone that he knew that had read an account of some people off the coast of this island had found these anchors. If you go and read further into the account here in Acts 27, you see they, they throw out some anchors to hold the ship. And some men found these anchors, and they think that they're the very anchors, you know, that that uh, you know, held the ship that the Apostle Paul was on. And that's neat. That's neat. But it's just history. What, what does this account, and we asked this question last week, what does this account say unto me? Do I take this just literally? That it's just a literal account? It's a historic account? I mean, if I look at the Bible like that, I mean, I'm not going to gain and glean much from it. If I'm just looking at it simply academically, and what the, the account actually is telling me about and that the Apostle Paul was shipwrecked. But if I see this as I believe the Spirit of the, of, of the Lord intends for us to see it and caused these words to be pinned, if I see this in an allegorical way, you know what an allegory is. Some of you have, have uh, been exposed to Pilgrim's Progress, and that's an allegory. If I look at this as my own journey, here's Paul's journey. He's on this ship, and he's sailing to this place. And the Lord has sent him on this journey, and we're all on a journey. And if I look at this ship, and I see this ship with all these other people that are on it, and I see this ship as the world, and this point in time that I have been appointed by God to live, at this time with these other people. I'm on board this ship with them. So, just that being said, there are things that we take in Scripture literally. There are things that we take metaphorically. Paul said, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. He didn't fight with lions and bears. He fought with beastly men. That's what he fought with. And then there are also, our Lord, He spoke by what? Parables, didn't He? He spoke to the people by parables. So, we have here, I think, in allegoric references regarding the journey of Paul, our own journey. That message that I listened to by Brother Conrad, he called it a journey under grace. And certainly it is. By the grace of God, each and every one of us this morning are found here, gathered together, to hear the Word of God, to read the Word of God, to seek God, to ask Him to speak unto us, reveal unto us that from His Word that would be of benefit unto us in our journey, that we might be saved, that we might glorify Him in all that we do. So, we're all on this ship together, and it has been determined that we, you and me, each and every one of us. The Lord's brought us into contact with one another. It's been determined that we journey 
through this life together. Now, Sister Doreen's parents are here this week. They're on the ship with us too. They, they're in Florida part of the time. They're in New York part of the time. And here they are in Texas. And they're journeying with us this morning. So some of us, and the Bruners, you know, they're here with us this morning. Glad to have them. You know, we're all in this journey together. And God's determined that we should be on board this same ship at this same time. And as we look at this narrative, um, we can see... Here's Paul, here's Luke, here's Aristarchus. We know these people are believers. We know these people love the Lord and serve the Lord. We know at the same time they're on board this ship with other people that don't. And Jim was mentioning to me yesterday, forgive me Jim if, if, if you don't want me to mention this, but he was telling me about, and he's praying about this, and I, I, it would be wonderful, uh, though I'd... I'd, I'd just don't, I don't think that it would ever remain that way. Jim, Jim's been looking at some land out in West Texas and um, just, just kind of had this laid on his heart, at least at, at this point. Don't know what's going to come of it, but, but he would like to purchase this land and have a Christian community there in this area. And that would be, that'd be great. I, I told him, I was listening to a message by John Piper and he was addressing the entire I mean, assembly there, I'm sure, thousands of people. And he was telling them that if, if we all had arrived in Minneapolis this morning together, he said, I would want it to be just like it is. I'd want, you know, not all of us to live in the same apartment complex or the same housing complex or, um, you know, work in the same place. The Lord's put us all in different places so that we can be in effect and a witness upon people in those places where we are. You know. And <clears throat> the Lord may allow that to happen, Jim, but... It won't stay that way. Somebody's going to come in and, and, and mess that up. I guarantee you. Um, but, um, you know, here we are with all these other people on board this ship, like Paul, with those who are of a mixed company, a mixed congregation of people. And I use the word congregation. I'm not speaking in the sense that we are a congregation of believers here this morning. I'm talking about a congregation of people who believe and some don't believe. Some worship other gods. And certainly, that could even be the case this morning with our little group, our little assembly. You know, I don't, I don't uh, doubt that there are people in our midst this morning who aren't believers. We have small children that have never made profession, professions of faith, and uh, you know, we have a we have a mixed company. And as we look at this narrative, I thought about J.D. in this respect this morning when I thought about Aristarchus and Luke. J.D.'s always, when he prays, and when he addresses us a lot of times, he's always thankful for the body of believers and for his brethren. Can you imagine how thankful Paul is for Aristarchus? Can you imagine how thankful Paul is for Luke to be with him at this time? I mean, undergoing what he's undergoing, that he has that companionship and that company that as he's in this mixed multitude of people as he's with these people that that he's seeking to be a witness and a testimony unto and he's undergoing this trial and we all are going to I mean the storm that that is brewing the storm that is blowing in our text here I mean these are the troubles that we face in this life the contrary winds that we read about there in, in verse number 4, the, the winds that were not suffering them in verse number 7 to continue any further, you know, the fair havens in verse number 8 that they had to uh, winter in, that the Lord had provided for them, that they decided it would be best not to listen to the preacher, not to listen to Paul, and uh, go on anyway after Paul had warned them that the voyage would be with much hurt and much damage, not only of the lading of the ship, but also of their lives. What a blessing to have Christian fellowship, companionship, brothers and sisters in Christ who we can rejoice with. I'm sure there were victories. You know, Paul probably was able to be a witness and testimony to some of the other prisoners, maybe some of the, the guards. You imagine that guard once he got to Rome that was assigned to the Apostle Paul? 
Because Paul was able to keep his own house there in Rome once he finally gets there. Can you imagine the things that that guard must have heard? The truth, the light that he must have been exposed to. God appointed that man to be at Paul's side and to hear the Word of God proclaimed unto all those that came to Paul that he preached unto. Romans twelve fourteen through 18 says, Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. And if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. But condescending, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice. There's no mistake. I mean, Luke could have continued to write this account. It's no mistake that the Spirit of God chose to include in these words that he moved upon the heart and mind of Luke to pen, you know, because holy men were moved by the Spirit of God to pen these words. The Spirit of God moved upon Luke to include and one Aristarchus being with us. That's, that ought to speak volumes unto you and me of how that we ought to be towards one another. Troubles that one another are facing, how much more could we do than we have done in the past? I mean, certainly I'm, I'm thankful when somebody tells me I'm, you know, I'm, I'm praying for you. You know, when, when Teresa was sick, I'm praying for you. But how much more could we do? And I'm not saying that anybody didn't do anything, you know, for me or that anybody hasn't done something for somebody else, but how much more could we do? I mean, how, how much Aristarchus and Luke condescended? How much they, like our Lord Jesus Christ, condescended to men of low estate? I'm not talking about just with Paul's estate. Now, his estate was not low in Christ. He was a rich man as far as that was concerned. But his estate was low as far as his physical condition and where he was at this point on his journey. How low are you willing to condescend? How far are you willing to go? Are you willing to do the sort of thing we ought to be, that Aristarchus and Luke are doing here. I mean, they are joining themselves to Paul. They are partaking of his own sufferings. They are partaking of the things that Paul's having to do without. His freedom. They bound themselves with Paul. Here's my brother. He's in bondage. I'm going to bind myself with him. Now, the county jail is not going to allow us to enter into the jail cell and sit there with Brother Mike if he gets arrested for something. Whether he did something or not. Yeah, it could be falsely accused. We'll just say that. They're not going to allow us to go sit in jail with Travis. So, we can't always physically be there. But what can we do? How close can we get I ought to be looking out to do whatever I can to join myself to your trial, to your suffering, as much as is possible for me. I can't leave my job. I've got to support my family. You know, but as much as is possible with me, that I ought to be willing, that I ought to have a heart to join myself. You ought to have a heart to join yourself all of us ought to, with one another, to do whatever we can. And it's not by mistake, not by accident that we find this here in verse number 2 when we see Luke and Aristarchus and the Spirit of God has recorded this for us. We don't need to lightly pass over that. We need to regard that. We need to, we need to think upon that. We need to think upon the fact, who do I know right now that's going through a trying time? And what 
can I do to help them? What can I do to encourage them? What can I do to uplift them? What can I do to help them along? How can I rejoice with this person that's rejoicing? How can I weep with this person that's weeping? I mean, if I physically could, I'd, I'd go down there and help Aunt Martha take care of her grandbaby. It's, I'm sure it's been a trying time for you from some of the things that you've told me. I would do that if I could. I mean, maybe she's not getting enough sleep. She's up all night with the baby. You know, maybe I could be there with her. So you understand what I'm saying. I don't want to drag this on any longer or any further than we ought to. But we need to take, we need to take note of that. We need to consider that. What can I do? We need to pray about it. Certainly, I think also. I don't think that Aristarchus and Luke just jumped right in there without seeking the Lord about, you know, is this where you'd have me to be, Lord? And Paul's fixed to jump on the ship and, and uh, he's heading to Italy. And I want to make sure this is where you'd have me to be. I can remember when Teresa was sick in the hospital and I had to make a decision. I've got kids at home that need a father. I've got a job that I need to be at to work. And I've got a wife who's dying in this hospital bed far as I could see and I want to be with her Lord where do you want me to be that's difficult you know your heart's here your heart's there where do I where, where do I be where, where does the Lord want me to be what should I do the Lord certainly is able to direct us we've got to decide we've got to make decisions and that's the first thing that we talked about last Lord's Day we've got to choose we've got to make preparations we've got to make plans but you know what? After we decide, it was decided they should sail. We read there in verse number one. After we decide, that doesn't determine what's going to happen, does it? After we decide, I would sum up what we said last week by saying that. After we decide, that does not determine what's going to happen. You may have plans this afternoon. That may not happen. I choose to believe what the Bible says that for us, for my part, as a child of God, God determines. I may decide with the information that I have, but God determines. We said last week that the heart of the king is in his hand. Like the rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever he chooses. The path in which we walk as God's children is not determined by accident. Paul's not on this ship by accident. Aristarchus is not on this ship by accident. Luke is not on this ship by accident. The crew that's sailing the ship, not there by accident. Julius being the centurion of Augustus' band given the charge of Paul, not by accident. God moves in all of these things. I said before, here we are, you and I. Mike, you weren't born in the 17th century. You were born here and now. Here we are. God's chosen to put us together upon this ship. Not by accident, but by design. God determining, if you are His child, all these things to work together for your good, even the strange and painful, even the strange and painful to accomplish His purpose. How do we know that? Because 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 12 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. The temptation? This is just the... This is strange. This shouldn't be happening. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. It's not by accident. It's by design. God's in this. He says, but rejoice. Now here I am in circumstances that in my mind just don't seem to make sense. And I'm even tempted to think that some strange thing has happened to me, that this has come upon me by accident. And Peter says in verse number 13, don't think it's strange, but rather this, rejoice. So here some trial has come upon me. 
like Paul. And Peter says, rejoice. Now, how can I do that? Why am I able to do that? Why should I be able to rejoice? He says, rejoice in so much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Now, we don't always suffer for Christ's sake. We can suffer not for Christ's sake. That's not according to the will of God. But, he says, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. We've already heard this morning, Brother Mike spoke to us about the excellent power of God. How excellent is that power? That power is so excellent that it's able to take every minute detail of your life and order it to the glory of God and for your good. Everything. doesn't matter what it is. He can even take our mistakes and order them for our good. He can teach us through those things. He can glorify Himself even through our mistakes. He says, If you be reproached for the name of Christ, rejoice, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. The Spirit of God must rest upon us for us to be able to do that which we've already read about in Romans chapter 12, to bless them which persecute you. And curse not, not to revile in return, to be able to turn the other cheek, but to rejoice that we are partaking in Christ's sufferings. Rejoice that His glory is upon us. Rejoice that we're being reproached for His name, that the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. On their part He is evil spoken of, but on your part He is glorified. Rejoice that God's in control. Rejoice that God is over this circumstance that I find myself in. Rejoice that God is the one that's causing the contrary winds to blow. Rejoice that God is even causing the wind that suffers us not to move any further to blow. That is a grace. That is a grace of God when contrary winds blow. If I've made a decision and contrary winds are blowing and the Lord's telling me this isn't the way I should go or He even sends winds that suffer me not to go any further, that is a grace that God gives. He goes on to say in verse number 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer. Those, those are things that most of us would think, well, you know, I'm, I feel pretty certain that I not suffer as one of those things. But then he goes on to say, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Probably all been guilty of that. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Why are you here at this appointed time? Why are you on this ship? Why are you in this mixed company of people? He's given you to be a light. A city set up on a hill that cannot be hid. He's given you to be a light. You're in a mixed company of people. I'm, I'm excited. December the 1st, they're moving me to the Groton office. I'll, I'll be closer to Kim. But I'm moving to the growth office and there's new people there. Not that I'm tired of the old people necessarily, but perhaps God has left me there as long as He's going to to be the life that I was supposed to be under those people at that particular time. So now I'm, I'm stepping off of that ship and I'm stepping onto another one over here. And there's another mixed group of people over here. And this is a new group of people that I've not really ever been around before. Not, not just new names and faces, but I'm going to be around political people. I'm going to be around judges and attorneys and other people that I've not necessarily been exposed to before. But I'm excited for this reason, that I know it's where God's sending me. And He's sending me there to be a light. And I'm excited about who is it that I might come into contact with. You know, I, I, I can look back and I can tell you, I can name people that God sent me where I was in Trinity at that office there. I can name people that God sent me there for. That if He had not sent me there, you know, I wouldn't have had the entrance into their lives that I have. And my hope is that it's been a savor of life unto them 
the life of Christ and not a savor of death. Now that's, that's my prayer for them. And there's some pretty hard cases. Some of those CPS workers over there I was working with, some pretty hard cases. And they've been hardened by a lot of the things they've seen. But my hope is that I was the light and I sh that I did shine as brightly as I was able to shine in their midst at that time. As you get later or further into uh, Acts 27 here, when the angel of the Lord appears beside Paul and tells him that all that's going to be lost is the ship, that no life is going to be lost, God says that He's given to Paul those who sailed with him. That's my prayer. That's my hope. I mean, there's some people sailing with me. And God's brought them across my path. And God's given me to them and them to me. I'm not saying that it's just been a one-way street. I mean, those people that I was working with, you know, in, in the Trinity office, they've been good for me too. Even the ones that aren't believers have been good for me. You know, they've, they've caused me to bite my tongue. They, they've caused me to, to turn the other cheek. They've caused me to pray for those who that despitefully use me, you know, for, for those who speak evil against me. They've been good for me too. You know, so that I might show unto them the love that Christ has shown unto me. That I might be long-suffering with them and merciful unto them. But here are these people that God's given us all to be a light unto How brightly are you shining? If any man suffer as a Christian, Paul was there suffering as a Christian. He was in prison because he was a Christian. He was suffering as a Christian. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. I ought to be excited to be able to go and suffer for Christ. To have men hate me because of the Lord Jesus Christ. I ought to be able to rejoice in that. Why? Because it may be that the Lord's brought that person across my path that they might be saved. And it may be that by my showing them kindness for their anger, that me showing them pity, that they might see there's something, something about, this isn't just an external thing. He doesn't just, it's not just like so many people that I've known in the past that name the name of Christ and I see them at the bar, you know, on the, on, on the side of the road on the weekends and they're deacons in the church. They're a bunch of hypocrites. How many times have I heard people say that? I don't want to do anything to mar my testimony. I don't want to do anything to burn any bridge between me and any man that I might be able to be a witness to. I need the Spirit of God, I need the Spirit of glory, I need the Spirit of Christ to rest upon me that I might be able to be that which He's called me to be. That I might be able to have the fruit of the Spirit hanging off of the branches of my life for people to come by and be able to take of the fruit of love and of joy and of peace and of long-suffering and of gentleness and of meekness and of patience. As we read about in Galatians chapter 5. Don't think it strange, this fiery trial which is sent to try you. Paul didn't need to think it strange that he was in this position. But we need to rejoice and not be ashamed and glorify God that we have been given light and can be a light unto others. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God what do we need to do? Verse 19 there, Peter says, Let them that suffer according to the will of God, that is, suffering for the cause of Christ, let them commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. I wonder how many seamen have stepped upon the board, on board of a ship. You think in those, in those olden days when they didn't have all the computerized and electronic 
navigation equipment and they didn't know, you know, when a storm was going to come up and they needed to skirt around the edge of that hurricane that's coming. I wonder how many sailors stepped aboard that ship and committed the keeping of their soul unto a just and a righteous and a holy and a faithful creator who keeps his people, who keeps his sheep. And you think about that man that didn't have the benefit of the technology that we have today. We're kind of like that man. I mean, do you know what's going to happen this afternoon? Do you know what storm is on the horizon? Do you know what's going to arise next week or next month? It may be your health. It may be problems in your family. It may be all sorts of tempests that may come up, all sorts of storms that may arise. We need to be able to step upon this ship every single day. I need to arise and step aboard the ship that is this world as I venture out upon this sea and commit the keeping of my soul unto God. Because He knows what's going to... I may determine what I'm going to do. I decided I'm going to do this, but God determines what's going to happen. Committing the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. The temptation for all of us on board this ship when we see those storms arise is that we become anxious. Why should we be anxious? Why should we worry? Why should we be troubled? When we know that these these fiery trials that are meant to try us, that God's the one that has sent them, that God's intended for them to come across our path, that God's intended them to be for our good. Why should we be anxious? Do you ever get anxious? I get anxious. I worry. Why do I do that? Philippians 4, 4-7, through 7, you know this passage of Scripture. Again, we're here being told to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. I've committed the keeping of my soul unto a faithful Creator. It says here, the Lord is at hand. Why should I be able to rejoice? The Lord's at hand. We heard about the excellent power of our great God this morning. The Lord's at hand. Who can withstand Him? Verse 6 says, Be careful or anxious for nothing. That's hard to do when you're diagnosed with cancer. It's hard to do when you're having a heart attack. It's hard to do when your child is sick and you don't know if they're going to make it through the night. It's hard to do when you lose your spouse or even a parent or a brother or sister. It's hard not to be anxious. But we're told not to be Be anxious for nothing. The Lord's at hand. I mean, it's just like the angel of the Lord standing beside Paul on board that ship when everybody thought all was lost and they'd cast out all the tackle and they'd cast out all the cargo. They didn't know what to do. They couldn't even see the stars to navigate. It had been dark for like 14 days. Paul stands upon the deck of the ship and brings a message of hope, brings a message of salvation unto those men. The Lord's at hand. An angel of the God whom I serve stood by me this night, said, not a hair, not a hair of your heads is going to be lost, all going to be saved. What I'm saying is the Lord's at hand. I'm not saying everybody's going to be saved. You're going to have to believe. You're going to have to trust in the Lord. Or like we said Wednesday night, you're going to stumble over Him. He's the stumbling stone. You're either going to trust Him and believe upon Him and find salvation through Him or you're going to stumble over Him on your way to hell. You're going to have to reject Him. How especially that is true for our children who have grown up in godly households where Christ has been set forth. Evident as the only way of salvation. Be careful for nothing but 
In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God. How often this has been something that has been troubling to people around me in the midst of things as God has given me. It's not my peace. But as God has given me His peace to look at that which is before me and accept it, whatever it is, knowing that the Lord's at hand and He's in control, to accept whatever it is and be at peace with it because God is over it. How troubling that has been unto people. It's a peace that passes understanding. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We can rejoice. You need to make that choice to rejoice instead of being anxious. I need to make that choice to rejoice instead of being anxious. I need to, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving in everything, I need to be able to take all those things to the Lord and make my request known and know that God is going to answer and know that God is going to deliver. Whether the cancer consumes my body and eats it away and I die, or it's healed and cured. God's overall. If God chooses to take me out of this life in that fashion, so be it. Give me grace to endure it. Help me to be a light and a testimony and a witness. Help me to be, J.D., like your grandpa whenever your grandmother was sick and dying in the hospital. Does it cause tears? Sure. Cause sorrow? Sure. But there's comfort. God's over all. The Lord's at hand. I'm on the deck of the ship and there's, a, there's contrary winds blowing. There's even winds blowing that are not suffering me to go any further. But you know what? The Lord's at hand. I'm under the shadow of His wing. I'm, I'm, I'm in the hollow of His hand. I'm the apple of His eye. Go through Scripture and see what it is that God thinks about you as His child. All the things that God has to say unto you as His child. The peace of God. The power of God ought to keep our hearts and minds through Christ to be able to rejoice instead of being anxious and worrying. God is overruling all for the good of His own. He has a purpose. Be at peace. Now, I'm not saying that you need to sit back and just, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. No. It says here that by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, I mean, if my wife is sick, do I want her to be well? Is it wrong for me to go to God and ask Him to heal her? No. That may not be the thing that God does. But there's nothing wrong with me letting my request and supplications be made known unto a merciful God. David had been told that his child would die. Yet what did he do? God had told him the child's going to die. He fasted and prayed and sought the Lord. And yet, when the child died, what did he do? His servants were afraid to even tell him the child was dead. What did he do? He got up and washed his face. Gave thanks. This I believe we would... We should have. We ought to have. We must have. That we should have and would have seemed to be the character of Paul during this voyage. It ought to be our character... It ought to be about us, that which we see depicted even in our Lord in Mark 4. You remember when the storm arose? The storm of wind arose and the waves beat into the ship. So the ship was now full of water. And where was the Lord? He was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they woke him up and said, Lord, don't you care that we perish? What did he do? He stood up and said, Peace, be still. O ye of little faith, Oh, ye of little faith. Does it matter that the boat is full of water? It doesn't matter. Now, am I going to be praying, Lord, help get this boat to the shore, even though it's full of water, and get me out of it safe upon your shore? Sure. But there needs to be something about me, like we see there in our Lord, and like I'm sure you could have seen in Paul at this time on this voyage. And again, I'm not advocating apathy or a stoic attitude, but that we be at peace. A peace that passes understanding. So resolute in our hearts. 
that no matter what happens, no matter what we face, no matter what it is that arises, no matter what storm comes up, knowing that we are kept by the power of God. That in the presence of the greatest dangers or among the wildest and rudest people, think about some of those missionaries that have been killed for their testimony. Wouldn't take guns into the jungle. We're not going to defend ourselves. God's going to be our defense. We're going to be a testimony and a witness unto Him. The Lord's at hand to be at peace. No matter what we face, placed in the most trying circumstances, nevertheless that we remain faithful to the Lord and not be of little faith. 2 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 says, As chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. I think that speaks to our, our, our character on this ship, on board this voyage. If we are in the poorest of circumstances, financially, that we be rich, that we are able to rejoice. God's in control of my financial circumstances. Doesn't mean that I you know, sit at home and don't go to work. But that I, that I count myself rich. That I'm able to, like George Mueller, sit down at the table without anything there to feed the orphans with and thank the Lord for the food that's not on the table. Even though my earthly circumstances are poor, making those around me rich, why is he at peace? Why is he okay with his circumstances? Always rejoicing. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing all things. You and I have everything. There's nothing you don't have that you need. It's all God's. And whatever you have need of, He'll he'll give it to you. Whatever you need, when you need it, you will get it. You will receive it at the appointed time. You'll receive it. And faith to die a martyr's death. Those men that died as martyrs, they didn't have that faith when, when they were you know, not facing the stake to be burned. They had faith. But they received a martyr's faith to stand in the flames and hold their hands up and praise God and rejoice even in the flames. That comes from Him. He's able to give whatever we need at the time appointed. No matter what the circumstances, that we be filled with all the fullness of God. I mean, He is the fullness of love. He is the fullness of there's the joy. He is the, the fullness of power. There's, there's nothing that God is not the fullness of. And there's nothing that He can't give that we need. And He's not going to be drained of any resources by giving it to you. I don't have to worry about not getting any myself. No matter what the circumstances, though the contrary winds blow, though they suffer us not to go forward, that we remember this, that the Lord is at hand, that the Lord is with us. If God be for me, what does the Bible say? What does God's Word say? Who can be against me? God before us, who can be against us? Are you living there? In the momentary trials that you're going through right now, I don't know what's happening with you, but are you living there? Are you living in that place of peace? Are you living in that place of rejoicing? Or... Can the Lord say unto us, like the disciples, O ye of little faith. We have need, brethren, 
We have need to commit the keeping of our souls unto a faithful Creator daily, moment by moment. We don't know what storm's going to come. We don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. But if I've committed myself unto Him, if I've committed my way unto Him, if I've committed all these things that are happening in my life right now unto Him, what is this journey about? Is it about amassing riches and lands and titles and wealth in this life? Is it about fame? Is it about you know, being able to, to wear the, the, the nicest designer clothes and, and have the nicest cars? That's what the world's seeking after. You know, that's what their journey was about. Those other guys on this ship, all the, the stuff that was in the hold, all the, the wheat and the goods that were down there to take unto Italy to, to sell, to make. That's what their journey was. That's not what your journey's about if you're a child of God. If you're a believer, that's not your journey. You need to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things, He said, will be added unto you. I don't have to seek after those things. I just have to seek Him. I just have to know the Lord's in hand. This, this is about the salvation of your soul. It's not about saving the ship. It's not about saving the cargo. All of that went overboard if you go and read further in the chapter. It's not about saving those things. It's about the saving of your soul. You can't save somebody else. You've got to save yourself. You can't believe for them. I can tell you, believe, but I can't believe for you. You've got to believe for yourself. And you're commanded to repent. Repent and believe. You're commanded to do Let's stand. These men were in danger. It's all about your soul. That's what it's about. That's what this journey is about. And there's a storm. I can tell you about one storm that's coming. I can't tell you about the ones in between here and there. I don't know what things are going to, I don't know what squalls are going to rise up between now and then. But there is one storm coming. The judgment of God is coming. And we each one have to be ready. Every one of us have to be ready to stand before Him and give an account. And here you are on this ship still. And that storm's coming. God says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon Him shall be saved. If God has put it in your heart to call upon Him, call. The only reason that you have a thought of Him is because He's invaded your mind. Come unto you where you are. These men at the beginning of this journey weren't at a place where they would have called upon the Lord. But let me tell you, there are storms that are coming into your life. You listen to me, you young people, and old alike. There are storms coming into your life. There are things that are going to press you. There are things that are going to come to bear upon you heavily and mightily. And there's only one way you're going to be saved. And that's to call upon the Lord. These men had to come to the place where they started that journey and had to be put into position. God had to put them in a place where they cast everything out. All hope was gone. And if you ask people here who know the Lord, they would tell you, the Lord brought me to that place. The Lord brought me to a place where I could see I had no other hope but in Him. Storms are going to come. They're going to arise. They're on the horizon. We're on this journey, and it's all about the salvation of your soul, not about the ship or about the cargo. It's not about the things of this world. 
Not wrong to have those things that God gives them to you. They're not evil in themselves unless you make a God out of them. But it's all about your soul. That's what this journey's about. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord who's on this ship shall be saved.